Thank you for joining this family ministry podcast from Calvary Tuscaloosa. This is our debut podcast, and we're excited to offer it to you. I'm Jonathan Freeman, the kids pastor and on the family ministry team at Calvary. Today, we're excited to bring you Liz Repking, founder of Cyber Safety Consulting and author of Cyber Awareness and Security Education that has been dispersed in middle schools nationwide. She spoke to our community Sunday, March 1st, about strategic ways to raise our kids in a hyper-digital age. I hope you enjoy. What I do for a living is I travel around the country and I speak to students. I speak to over 10,000 students a year, and I talk to parents. Um, I work with school administrators. I do professional development on institute days, um, all of that. And I talk about how to um, bring, how to raise kids in a hyper-digital age, the the, um, title of this. When I work with the kids, we're talking, we're working to build their awareness, um, make them aware of the dangers they face, talk about how they are, are more aware, more mindful, more thoughtful about what they're doing online. We talk about the permanency of what they're doing, how public things are, um, how this builds an online reputation. We talk about cyberbullying. We'll cover all of that. And then when I talk to parents, we cover all the same things that we talked about with the kids this morning on purpose so that my goal is to help you create an ongoing conversation with your, um, ch- I'll say child, it could be children, but with your, with your child. Um, I feel very strongly that this is a topic that parents need to first educate themselves and then second, be involved in their children's online life. Um, kids are really struggling with this. There is so much nuance for them being online. They are working with devices that require a lot of abstract and ethical thinking, and kids developmentally don't have the ability to think abstractly and ethically until they're well into high school. But, but we're giving them devices at first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. You may not be handing over a cell phone, but they are going online, and we're asking them to operate in a world where they can't see and they can't hear who they're talking to or who they're interacting with. Um, So we have to continually educate them about this. And at some point, kids will go on their own. It may be earlier, it may be later. And the goal is to get them to a point where they can self-regulate and self-protect themselves when they're online. Because at some point, they will go online. Um, Or they will go online that you're, you're not aware of where they are. So I tell you much of what I told them this morning so that you have a common platform to talk to them about. You come home today, this afternoon. How old is your child? Oh, were they here this morning? Okay, so you have a sixth grade and seventh grade. And and I tell you something about usernames. And so you come home this afternoon and you're going to engage in this online dialogue and you want to increase their safety. So you go up to them and you think, hey, is your account private? And for some reason, this finger comes out, right? Hey, is your... And it just makes our kids defensive. So um, I tell the kids a lot of different stories for a couple reasons. One is I'm trying to take these abstract and ethical concepts and give them some concrete examples. So a good example of that is we tell kids all the time, you've probably told your kids, what you put up online stays up forever. But when you think about that, 
It's very abstract in nature, and it's really, really hard for kids to understand. They can give it back to us, but they don't really understand. Um, I'll never forget a couple years ago, I was doing a role play with a group of eighth graders. Eighth graders, 13, 14 years old, and um, at the end of it, the, a girl in the second row just kind of sat under her breath. She goes, now I get it. And I looked at her, I said, what do you mean now you get it? And she said, well, my mom's been telling me for years what I put up I can't take down. But I never really understood what it meant. And I can tell you, I'm sure the girl sat there and went, when her mom said, you know, what you put up, you can't take down. And there's that finger again, right? What you put up, you can't take down. And um, I'm sure that the young girl said, yeah, I know. And she thought she knew it until I told it to her in a more concrete way with examples, with visualization. And then she went, oh, that's what she means. She didn't know that she knew it until she knew it, if that makes sense. So I tell the kids a story for that reason. I tell you the stories so that you can go home and engage in an ongoing conversation that's not about what they're doing. Because they do get very, students get really defensive on this topic. As soon as we engage in that conversation, they, they're like, I don't, I don't do that, Mom. Um, and that's not what we're trying to, to do. We're trying to engage in a conversation. I think it's very similar to topics like alcohol, drugs, sex. Um, it needs to be a topic that develops as they develop. And the language that we use and the topics that we talk about over time changes as their experience change with those topics. So talking to a fourth grader about their online activity is really different than talking to a fifth or sixth grader versus a sophomore in high school but we need to keep that conversation going. So you need to find a way to create a safe and non-threatening environment. And that, that's one of the challenges. And step one to creating that safe, non-threatening envi environment is to educate yourself enough so that you can, have, um, you can have some credibility with your kids on what you're talking about. Will you ever know as much as your kids on this topic? Never. They, they just, I think they come out of the womb pre-wired, um, technically. I do this for a living. I am, I am up on a lot, I am current on a lot of stuff. It's all I do. And I can tell you, my kids can run circles around me. But, okay, kids, you got to sort of cover your ears now. This is a parenting secret. Um, but we are the parents, and, and we may not understand the exact you know, workings of Snapchat on here. Um, your son may be able to show you how to put the best bunny ears on the picture or make the picture go like this, back and forth, boomerang, you have no clue how to do that. But we as parents have a much broader understanding of, of how these things can affect their lives, which they tend to have a narrow um, understanding of that. I had a great, when I finished with the third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, I talked to them as a group today, and I probably had a good 15-minute conversation with um, three boys, three sixth-grade boys who game a lot. Um, and it was such a thoughtful conversation, and they were, they were asking me different questions about how predators connect with them online, and I was walking through why predators like gaming as a platform to connect with kids. And one of the boys who, who clearly is a very avid and talented gamer. He just looked at me and he, and he said, 
It's exactly what happened to me. And as I told the story and explained more of why that works for a predator, the light bulb just kept going on in his head, and I could see it. And he said, yeah, I gave him, I gave him extra coins because we were playing in a tournament at the time, and he needed the coins for us to continue. Um, so I, I, I said to the, the sixth graders, I said, you know what? This is not a knock on you guys at all, but your view and your experience leads to very narrow perceptions of what's happening. And, and our goal as adults is to keep widening your understanding of why things happen and what's actually happening. So that's sort of my preamble to all of this. So why don't we jump in, if I can have you go to the first slide. Um, I just want to give you a couple quick stats to give you a feel for the terrain. Um, these are the top 10 or top 7 U.S. children's health concerns. And you can see that of the top seven, three of them are directly related to um, technology. Bullying, internet safety, and sexting. Sexting, interestingly, is the number one problem that um, middle schools and high schools experience across the country. I would tell you I probably get one to two inquiries from administrators in schools every week with the words, we had an incident. And the incident is always the sharing of inappropriate pictures. So that's a very prevalent problem. Can you go to the next slide? Um, a couple, this one is really alarming. This is, you've heard of Common Sense Media, which does a lot of um, very, very large surveying of, of the student population. And they say through their semi or biannual census, that American teens are using an average of nine hours of technology a day, and that does not include school and homework. Um, I, don't, I don't know where they get nine hours a day, because so many of our students, my, my kids included, um, they're busy. They're busy. I mean, Maeve goes to school, then she usually has a practice after school, and then she comes home, and she, she's a sophomore in high school, um, a very conscientious student, and she probably does four or five hours of homework a night. So I don't think she's on. See, I'm a typical parent. I don't think she's the one on um, social media and technology nine hours a day. But probably when you start mixing in the fact, especially when kids are in high school, they're doing both at the same time. They're on their devices and they're in school. Um, but nine hours is a lot of time. Even if we back it down by a couple hours, it's still a lot. Um, I'll tell you an experience I had with Maeve this summer. She, one Sunday night, we were sitting on, the, um, on my front porch together. She'd just come home from soccer practice. And out of the clear blue, she says, Instagram is stressing me out. And I just sort of went, really? And I'll tell you, to get your kids to talk, the best thing you can do, again, cover your ears, um, the best thing you can do, and maybe you guys will agree, is for us as adults not to say much. So I do a lot with my own kids. When they, when they do start talking a little bit, I say things like, really? Huh. And then they tend to talk more. So she says, yes, um, Instagram is stressing her out. She felt a lot of stress to stay up on other people's content, to like it, and to make appropriate comments. So think about that. Some of these um, students have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of followers, thousands of followers, over a thousand. Would you agree? 
There's a lot of accounts, over 1,000 or more. Um, if I'm going to make a comment on a platform that has 1,000 followers, I'm going to make sure my comment is good. It's either witty, um, it's thoughtful, it's, it's current, because, a lot, because the audience is large. So the other thing that was stressing her out is that there's, within their friendships, there's some reciprocity involved. So when May posts a picture, she wants people to like it quickly because that picture is, it's a bit of her social currency. I'll call it social currency. And how many likes I get or how many likes she gets is important for her. Um, and how many likes she gets in a certain amount of time also is part of it. If you put a picture up and you don't get very many likes very quickly, a lot of kids will take that picture down because it's not good social currency for them. So because she recognizes that as something she's looking for as a friend, she wants to provide that for her friends. So when her friends post something, she wants to put that like up there, make a comment right away so that their social currency is, is increased. And she's feeling the stress of that. So I said to her, um, Maeve, you got to figure out what you like about social media. What are the, what are the positives for you? And she said, well, I, I, I love to see what my friends are doing. It's a window into their lives on a regular basis. I like to stay connected with them. Okay? And what parts don't you like? Well, I don't like this pressure and the amount of time it's sucking out of my life to stay current. And I said, well, Think about the things you like and try and maximize those, and then think about the things you don't like and make some decisions that limit that or reduces your stress around it. Don't be using something for fun that's not fun. And she said, okay, I think I know what I'm going to do. So what's that? She said, I am only going to look at Instagram three times a day when I wake up in the morning, in the middle of the day, and when I go to bed at night. And the mom in me kind of was like, that's the concession. But the good thing was that it was, it was her decision, right? And if I dictated to her, well, okay, so since Instagram's stressing you out, there's that finger again, um, you can only use it once a day. That would only create conflict, and, and it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be sustaining. And so then the second thing she told me she was going to do was she was going to limit her social media screen time to three hours a day. And again, as a mom, I'm thinking, how much are you using it if you're limiting yourself to three hours? That's the, the back. Now, I'll tell you, she's a kid that's, that's producing in every aspect of her life. You know, she's doing everything she's supposed to be doing and doing it well. So I don't have reason to sit and track her time online as a sophomore in high school. Um, but I, I just share that with you as an example of, of how much they're, they're using, the, um, they're online. Okay, let's go to the next one. So that's Maeve. Isn't she lovely? If she knew that slide was up there, she'd kill me. Um, but I want to start off with a story about Maeve. And it's a story I told to the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, the seventh through um, high school, I told a different... Did anyone have any kids that went to that today? Were you guys in there? Oh, I talked to you. Like, you've heard all this. What grade are you guys in? So you heard about Anna. Are you... Are you, any, are you 
10th. Okay, so you guys both heard about Anna. Who else said they were? You weren't there. You had a child there? Did What grade? Did he come home and say anything about this today? Did he, t he didn't tell you about Iris? Okay, so usually or sometimes the, when I do stuff in schools and I talk to the students during the day, um, the parents come in at night and they're like, are, are you going to tell us about Iris? And that's a good thing. I know that they're coming home. I know that the stories are impactful because they're coming home and they're talking about them voluntarily. So um, I, I tell students about Iris and Maeve. So Maeve was in sixth grade. So this is a number of years ago. And she got on a site called Google Hangouts. She was on the desktop at my desk in my kitchen. She was not locked away in a bedroom. She wasn't in a basement. She wasn't behind a closed door. She was right out in the open. I was not home that night. Um, but she's on Google Hangouts. And at the time, she's 11 years old. And she meets someone online, or someone starts talking to her and introduces herself as Iris. And Iris tells Maeve that she's 11 years old, too. She asked Maeve, what do you like to do? And Maeve said, you know, I, I love to play soccer. I play on a club team. I travel to tournaments. That's what I do. And Iris is like, wow, that's so cool. I play soccer, too, and I play on a club team. Where do you live? And Maeve says, I live in Illinois. And Iris says, OMG, same. So now Maeve, think about this. From Maeve's perspective, she's thinking, I met this girl. She's my age. She plays soccer. She lives in Illinois. She seems really nice. I'm making a new friend. So Iris says, what club do you play for? And Maeve says, you know, I can't tell you that because my mom does like internet safety, which was really cute when I read it, but it, it, made, me, it made me think. I can't tell you because my mom does like internet safety. And that was my first indication that, you know what? She knows the rule, but she doesn't understand it. It's like teaching a kid how to multiply, divide, subtract, and add. They can do it up and down the page, but when you give them a word problem and they have to figure out how to apply it, they struggle. And I think that's what happens um, to our kids online quite a bit, is that they can tell me the rule or tell you the rule. I don't talk to people I don't know. What I put up stays up forever. But they don't really understand how to apply it or how to better yet recognize the situations that bring it in. So anyways, um, Iris says, oh, I really wish you could tell me. I wish I knew what club you played for. And Maeve's right there with her. I know. I know. I really want to tell you, but I just can't. And they'd both have like five sad face emojis, and Iris would spell really like R-E-L-L-L-L-L-Y. Um, it, was, it was done exactly how an 11-year-old would message. And so Iris says, well, what division is your team in? And Iris says, we play in the, or I'm sorry, Maeve says, we play in the A division. So in Illinois, in the, the, the women's, which is the girls' soccer, in all of Illinois, it's one very large organization across the state. They divide teams into age, and then they group them according to ability of the team. So at the time, Maeve was playing U12A division, and it goes all the way down to like E or F division across the state. So she says, I'm in the A division. Guess what division Iris was in? A. Everything Maeve said, Iris says. Um, and 
Iris says, you know what? Let's play a game. And she says, okay. And she said, I'm going to put up a picture of my team, and you can guess what player I am. And then I get to guess what club you play for. We'll trade guesses. And Maeve says, okay, sounds fun. When not two minutes ago, Maeve said, I can't tell you what team I play for. Now they're going to trade guesses. So here comes the picture. Um, Maeve says, is that you? Iris says, nope. Do you play for Synergy? No. Is that you? No. Do you play for Soccers? No. Is that you? No. Do you play for T um, NSA? No. And with that, my husband sees this happening, and he says, Maeve, get offline. He said it as calm and cool as can be. Maeve, get offline. Maeve's response was, I didn't do anything wrong. There's that defensive nature. And Ron says, that's fine, just, just get offline. So Maeve gets offline. The next day, when I'm home, he comes to me with his phone, and he says, hey, take a look at what your daughter was doing yesterday. I never understand how she becomes only my child in that moment. You hear me? <laughs> and so um, I start reading it. And I can, I'm reading all about, you know, what division are you in? What club do you play for? Let's trade guesses. And I'm thinking, oh, I got to talk to her about that. Oh, she shouldn't have said that. And it was more like the mom in me thinking, ah, she, I just got to explain this better. And then I could see exactly where Maeve stopped communicating with Iris. Because there were no more messages from Maeve. And there were over four pages of messages from Iris. They came, it was interesting, they came in bunches, right? They came in like three different sets over about 18 hours. The first one was very simple. Maeve, question mark, question mark. Maeve, are you there? Come back. I really want to talk to you. I'm here. Nothing from Maeve. Then there was kind of a couple hours quiet time, and then more messages from Iris. She said something like, um, Maeve, please come back online so we can talk some more. I really love talking to you. You're the best friend I've ever had. Please come back so we can talk. Nothing from Maeve. And then finally, the last grouping was even a little bit more aggressive in nature, saying, you know, I'm a really bad person. I, you did guess who I was, and I lied. If you come back online, I'll show you my face. So they're kept, they're, they're, Iris kept giving more to try and pull Maeve back, if Maeve was even looking. Um, and that's definitely one of the, the trademarks of an online predator, is that that constant, I'm going to try and pull you back and keep you engaged in this, but I might have to give more. So as I read that, I went from that feeling of, oh, I need to talk to her, to, oh, like my skin, like even now I just get goosebumps when I tell this story, and I've told it. 150,000 times, and I still get those goosebumps. And I'll tell this to a group of kids, and even this morning, I said, do you guys feel kind of, and they're like, yeah, like a little creepy. And I'm by no means trying to creep them out. But I said, yeah, I did too. So what I did was I took a couple screenshots, and I sent it to a police officer that I work really closely with, and he's a detective on what's called high technology crime. And I said, Rich, check this out. And he called me in about two minutes, and he said, is that Maeve? I said, it is. He said, um, go to the computer she was on. And I did, and he had me give him a bunch of technical information. And he said, I'll call you back. And he called me back in about 30 minutes, and he said, I couldn't be 100% sure unless I had a search warrant and took this guy's stuff, but I'm about 90% sure she's talking to a 40-year-old man that we're watching. 
And um, I tell that to a group of students, and at this point, like when I'm saying, like, what division was it in? They're all like, she's an A2, every, oh yeah, everything Maeve says. And then when I tell the students, like, this was a man, they all go, <gasps> and I'm like, you guys, are you kidding me? You didn't see that coming? I'm here to talk to you about internet safety. You, you couldn't recognize this story? And um, I, I think it's so indicative of the challenge that they know this, the words, but they can't recognize what it looks like. Um, so let's go to the next slide. So one of the things I talked to the younger kids, I don't think I, this doesn't look familiar to you two, does it? One of the things I talked to the younger kids about, we'll talk, come back to Maeve in a minute, um, is this idea of a golden ticket or a get out of jail card free. When you think of golden ticket, what do you think of? Charlie and Chocolate Factory, and what does that golden ticket represent? A free pass, right? Yep, a free pass. And so I think one of the most important conversations to have with your kids and kids to have with your parents, you guys, right, this family right here, they're going to go home and have a great dinner tonight. It's going to be the topic. <laughs> the girls are like, ugh. Um. <laughs> but anyways, I think it's so important, no matter what age your kid is, whenever they start using technology, one of the first conversations you need to talk about is what happens if something goes wrong. I know it's hard. We don't necessarily want to talk about those things that can go wrong. We don't want to open up Pandora's box but we got to open it up. If we're going to give them access, when I, when I say this, I'm talking computers, laptops, iPads, tablets, phones, whatever it is. When we give them access to that internet, they have to have an escape route if something goes wrong. So the conversation goes something like this with Maeve. My side of it is, Maeve, you have a lot of privilege with this device, and I expect that you will do your best to follow the rules, be safe, and be appropriate. That we want to lay out. You, I'm sure you talk about what those rules are. Um, but, but, I understand things go wrong. Kids make mistakes. Um, kids fail to recognize the problem, just like Maeve. If, if Ron and I had not, if Ron had not intercepted that on night one, that conversation would have gone on for weeks, for weeks. Iris would have kept pinging her. She would have kept talking to Iris. Um, and at some point, when kids are in that situation, at some point, we hope, they start to feel uncomfortable. They start to feel scared, nervous, stressed. Um, you got to think of every word you can think of to describe it. So, so the conversation is, if you ever feel uncomfortable, stressed, nervous, et cetera, et cetera, you can come to me. You can come to me to keep you safe. My side of the deal, as the parent, because a deal has two sides, is that I won't kill you. Which we laugh, but I can guarantee you that one of the biggest deterrents kids have of coming to us is that fear of getting in trouble. Getting in trouble in the eyes of a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old is really different than what we perceive as getting in trouble. For me, when I think of that situation of Iris and Maeve, getting in trouble is Maeve taking a picture because Iris coerced her into it, taking a picture of her naked top, her naked bottom, and sending it to Iris. 
um, getting in trouble is agreeing to meet Iris at a Starbucks because she didn't know what else to do. Um, to her, getting in trouble is me getting angry, me being upset, me taking away her phone, me grounding her. That is her perception of trouble. So the agreement is that you can come to me and I will keep you safe. You have one free pass. Would we keep our kids safe 100 times over? Sure. But I don't want to create this illusion of go do whatever you want and I'll bail you out. That's not what we're trying to do. But what I, what I really am trying to do is get kids to see the path to a safe decision versus the path to staying out of trouble. Because in adolescents' brains, those can be two very different paths. To us, those are the same path, right? But to an adolescent, they're very different. So um, every time I go in Maeve's room, she does have this little golden ticket sitting on her, her lamp on her desk that she made probably five years ago. And every time I walk in there, it catches my eye. And for her, it's a visual reminder, five years later, that she can always come to me. And it's not just internet issues. It's anything. that she. It's kind of that visual reminder that I am here to keep her safe. Um, for me, every time I walk in that room and it catches my eye, it's a reminder that if she does come to me, I need to stay calm. Because when I say, when, think about it, your kid comes to you and says, so mom, I got a problem. I'll talk to you. Mom, I got a problem. Yeah, what's that? I've been talking to this guy online for like three weeks, and I thought he was 11, and I thought it was a girl. Um, but it turns out he's a 40-year-old man, and I sent him a picture that I shouldn't have. How are you going to react to that? You're going to look at him, and, and you're going to go like this. You did what? Her, and this happens in our house. Maeve tells me something, and I go, what? Bob, don't yell at me. And I'm like, I'm not yelling. <laughs> and then I feel like my mother, right? I'm not, and then I follow it up with something even more intelligent, something like, do you want to hear what yelling is? <laughs> See? <laughs> um, joking aside, the reason why we look at them and say, you did what? It's not because we're mad. I'm telling you guys, we're not, your mom's not doing, oh, stop rolling your eyes. <laughs> I saw. She's not yelling at you because she's mad. She's yelling at you because it's an emotional response. Because she's as scared for you as you are nervous. For me, with Maeve, when I saw that, you know what the first thing I felt was? Do you think I was mad at her when I saw all those texts and I found out it was a man? Do you think I was mad? I was not mad. You know who I was mad at? I was mad at me. Because my job, I have one job in this world. Your mom and dad have one job, and that's to keep you three safe. That's it. All the other things are part of that job. But when we, I think I speak for all of us, when we see our kids get in, har our kids get in harm's way, there's a part of us as parents that go, I can't believe I let my kid get into this position. So we react. And it's more of a, an emotional response. Do you know what I mean? By like just an emotion of fear and, and being surprised. But our kids, even now as I'm talking to them, they're looking at me like I'm crazy. Like, nope, nope, she's mad. Um, we have to keep, yeah, but there's other things driving that anger. 
Um, and we have to keep that, our voice. I mean, even just the simple, you can tell them all day long, I, lo I love you. And they're like, but your voice, you're yelling. So you got to keep that voice down. Um, okay, next one. So when I talk, when I start talking, these are the, remember I told you guys you were missing a few slides? This was it. And when I showed this to the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, they laughed. They were like, oh, the white van. Um, when I put this up, kids, see, you're laughing too. Why are you laughing at my slide? Yeah, what about that white van? What's the nickname? The rape van. Oh, interesting. What about a black van? Is that a rape van as well or just the white van? <laughs> the Peta van. Yeah, so I put this, this slide up in schools, and, and the kids, like, it took me about a year to figure it out. There'd be, like, sort of this uptick in giggling and laughing, and, and no one was being disrespectful, but I knew as a presenter and as a subject matter expert, I kept kind of studying. Like, every single time I tell a story, I put a slide up, I'm sort of monitoring the kids' reactions, and I'm watching a lot. Um, because I'm trying to figure out, am I boring you guys? Is this interesting? Is it helping? All that kind of stuff. But I put this up, and there'd be sort of that, I saw you, you kind of the smile. And it took me a while to figure it out. But really, why there's so much kind of snickering is because all of these things, when we talk about street predators outside, face to face, um, these stories are cliche. Would you agree? They've heard about the van. They even, they even have a name for the van now. Um, the guy with the dog, the candy. Because think about it. I, wanna, I want you all to think about how you educated your kids on how, how to be safe outside. Because I can tell you, I am in, the, in, in one week, I've been in Los Angeles, Tuscaloosa, and on Tuesday I'm in Manhattan. And I work with kids that are in gifted schools. I work with kids in churches. Next week, I'm working in um, a special education school. So I cover the gamut. But what I can tell you is that everywhere I go, from, from New York City to the south to um, last spring, I was in a place called, um, it was in Wyoming, um, Basin. Basin, Wyoming, population like 50. Seriously, I worked at two schools in the same district, and they were over 50 miles apart. So incredibly rural, incredibly rural. Most kids live on a farm. But every single place, every kid knows how to be safe outside. They all have the same information because we as parents and educators have done such a good job. Think about it. Telling our kids what the rules are. Don't talk to strangers. Don't go with someone you don't know. But that's not the only thing we did. We told them what it looked like, the white van. If, a, if someone comes up and says, you know what? I have the cutest dog. She's so cute. Her name's Winnie. It's this little mini golden doodle. Sweetest dog you've ever seen. But you know what? I lost her. She ran away the other day. I, just this morning, I was taking her out for a walk, and I turned around, and she was gone. She never leaves me, but she took off. Could you come with me? and help me find her, because she's so cute. I'll do that to a group of third graders, like a row, and I'll get partway into it. So I have this dog, and the whole row will go, no. <laughs> like, because they know, they know the story. They know the lure. 
the other thing that's really, really interesting, I didn't do it with you guys, but I did it with the younger kids. I, I bring someone up. You're going to be, you don't have to get up, but you're going to be my, my person if you're okay with that. And I tell them, they stand right here with me in front of everyone, and I say, if I were to tell you right now that I'm an 80-year-old man, do you believe me? Why not? Right. And most of the kids, they'll say, I can see you. I mean, we're talking thousands of kids I do this with. Or they say, no, because um, you don't look like it. And then I feel really good. Because <laughs> someday I'm going to do this, and it's just all going to backfire. <laughs> Matter of fact, two weeks ago, I did it, and the girl said, no, you don't look like it. And then some girl in the back goes, you're too pretty. And I thought, so nice. I love my job. Um, but, but the important part is that she said, you don't, you either said you don't look, you don't look, you, I can see you. I, which, what she's saying is, I can use my eyes and my ears, sorry, to help me figure this out. We all use our eyes and our ears all the time, as long as we have that God-given ability. Kids especially, especially need it, because, I'll use me as an example, I know you won't believe this, but I'm 51 years old, soon to be 52 in a couple weeks, it's unbelievable, isn't it? And um, I have in my brain, I call my brain my database, and I have almost 52 years of experiences in that database. So every time something happens to me, my brain automatically rifles through the database and is looking for similar situations. And then my brain goes through this process of saying, what worked, what didn't work? Um, what would you do differently this time? Not that we, we I mean, we, we instinctively do that. And that's called experiential learning. And it's one of the most valuable ways to learn, experiential learning. Colleges across the country are moving to experiential learning. You know what that is? Co-ops. Some of the best colleges in the country are devising, prog developing programs where kids go to class for a semester and they co-op. That's what my son is doing. So when I said he's a senior at Marquette, he actually is going to be there five years because he's an engineering student and he works full-time a semester and then he goes to class. And, he work and when you think about it, what a great way to learn about how to be an engineer because you start seeing it. So anyways, with our kids, they don't have those visual and auditory cues. I'm sorry, they don't have that database of experiences. And they certainly, certainly, certainly don't have them when it comes to being online. So let's, let's come back to you. We're going to erase that whole experience that you and I just had. You can't see me. You can't hear me. You've never met me. If I were to somehow communicate to you that I'm an 80-year-old man, do you have any reason not to believe me? No. And that's what... I mean, we're talking, I do this with third graders up to seniors in high school, and I get the exact same answers every time. They don't hesitate. They say no. And think about it now. With, go back to the story of Maeve. That's exactly what happened. When Iris said, Maeve would have told you all day long. She is, she is a really, she's a very high-strung young lady. Um, huge fear of failure. Does, never wants to get in trouble. So she didn't go online looking to connect with someone and have some fun and be risky. She, like, when she figured out what she was doing, she was petrified. Um, but she couldn't recognize that situation when it happened because when Iris said, I'm an 11-year-old girl that plays soccer, she was like, woo -hoo! I made a friend. 
So um, I think it's important to realize that. The other thing that we do really, really well is we keep our kids physically safe. We, when they're little, we go to the park. When you take the two boys to the park, do you go with them? <laughs> yeah, you're like, why are you asking me that question? And, and at what age will you let them go to the park by themselves, totally alone, just one of them by themselves? Never. So maybe, um, say you're, I always want to call him Jeremiah, but that's not, Josiah, they're so close, aren't they? Um, Maybe when Josiah is in sixth or seventh grade, he might walk, if he goes to a school that he walks to, a neighborhood school, maybe you'll let him walk with his friends. Maybe. Um, you guys, do you ever go out with your friends, go to Starbucks, go out to eat? Once in a while, right? Will your mom let you? You'd let them what, if they were with someone? But if she said, I'm going to go hang out at Starbucks to do some homework, would you let her go by herself? Okay, I would know who was going to be there. So, so there is, I think we would all agree collectively that, that we all are safer if we are with someone or, with, or alone. What do you think? With someone. I mean, even, it's funny, last night um, I, was, I was traveling. I had to fly from Chicago to Orlando, and Orlando to Tulsa, to, Birmingham, and then I had to drive, and it was a long, it was a long travel day. Um, somewhere in there on a layover, I, I was talking to my son, who's 21 years old. I said, what are you doing tonight? He goes, I'm going to a party across campus. And I said, okay, promise me something. He goes, what's that? I go, when you come home at 1 or 2 in the morning, you'll walk with someone. And he was like, of course I would. I wouldn't walk along, alone on campus at 2 a.m. by myself. So here's a young man who I'm still telling so guys, we're still going to be telling you guys for a long time um, to be with someone. Uh, can you go to the next slide? So then they get to some age that we, um, I'm not going to tell you what that age is, that you decide that it's time for them to get one of these lovely, mobile, quite expensive devices, right? And, and maybe, is your sixth grader, do you have boys or girls? Boys. And maybe... Um, your son, you, you've just, you can't fight the fight anymore. They are wearing you down. Can I get a phone? Let me have a phone. Everyone in my class has a phone. I'm the only one in my class that doesn't have a phone, which, what was that? It's not true. I'm going to tell you right now. Oh, you have a, small, a smaller class. Okay, maybe it's true. But anyway, so, so maybe you're my better example. I'm going to come over to your mom to help you out. That's okay. So, so at some point you decide, you decide together, but I'm going to talk to you, um, that, that it's time for, what's your name? Rebecca. Rebecca to get a phone. And this, Rebecca, this probably is going to be the best gift you've ever gotten, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you are thinking this is going to be great because um, it's really, really fun to give our kids something that they really want. Uh, because what's going to happen is the constant nagging may subside for a while, and you'll get some relief. Um, the other thing is Rebecca is going to really, truly love you for like at least a week, right? <laughs> Rebecca, you may, you may agree to do, like, do you guys have a dog? 
that you're going to walk the dog. If you could just get that phone, I'll walk the dog, I'll empty the dishwasher, I'll sweep the floor, I'll do all that stuff for the phone. So you wrap this up, and you think, this is going to be the best gift ever. And you give it to her, you say, happy birthday, Rebecca. You can talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere in the whole world. <laughs> good luck. No. Yeah, good luck. And if, you, and if you need more data, let me know. So, <laughs> it, but you know what? When I, when, I, when I play it out that way, it sounds really cavalier, doesn't it? You're sitting there like, I would never give my child a device that they could talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere in the whole world and say good luck. But think about it. Honestly, when you think about how well we educate our kids about how to be safe outside, and we do a great job, do we do that same level of education before we hand over a device that allows them to talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere, with no ability to see or hear who they're talking to? That's a scary way of put I'm sorry, Rebecca, I probably didn't help your case right there. Um, but that's the truth. So, so what is, I don't want to just tell you, I want to give you things that you can actually like, take notes on and do today. Um, what we need to do is we have to start doing a better job of telling them the stories, of building that database, because that's how we do it with keeping them safe outside. We talk about the white van to the point where they have made up a nickname for it, um, which I now can take to my next presentations. <laughs> Thank you for the education on that. Um, but the other piece is that we agreed that we physically keep them safer. We, we make sure we're with them, we make sure our caregiver's with them, we make sure they're with a friend when they go out because predators are looking for kids who are the most, what's that word? Vulnerable. Outside, that typically represents itself by kids who are alone and kids who are unaware of their surroundings. Their, their vulnerability goes up. And we as parents are trying to reduce their vulnerability by one, not letting them be alone, and two, helping them be aware of their surroundings. So now they go online, and they can't see and they can't hear anymore. Their vulnerability's high. What can we do as parents to reduce their vulnerability? I got two suggestions. So yep, if you are taking notes, this is the point you pick up that notebook and say she's gonna say something useful finally. Um, you want to, Number one, make sure as they create accounts, they are not using their first and their last name as their usernames. And then number two, they need to make sure those accounts are set to private. And here's why. They are, with those two pieces of information that I just gave you, it makes them very identifiable online. Um, I'm gonna give you kind of a concrete example. If my son Ian, he ran in high school a lot of track and cross country. And if we were standing here a year ago right now on a Sunday and March 1st, he probably would have run a meet yesterday. Say he ran the York Invitational. That's just a high school in, in my area. We could go online and Google Ian Repking. And in a matter of 30 seconds, we could find out the following information. Ian Repking is 17 years old. He's a senior in high school. Um, he goes to Glenbard West High School. He lives in Glen Ellen, and he runs track and cross country. That's all information that people like me go into schools and tell kids, don't give out your personal information, don't say where you go to school, what town you live in, how old you are. We tell them over and over, keep that information private. 
But the reality is, as kids start developing activities and sports and that sort of thing, so much of that information lives online. Ian ran a meet yesterday. It's posted that he ran the mile. He's from Glenbard West High School. Um, he's a senior in high school, and then it has a time in the mile. So if I'm a creepy predator, and I go look at the results from the York invite, I'm going to see Ian Repking. I, I hop over to Instagram. I do a search on Ian Repking. I might get 10 returns on that name. I look at the first one. The account's private. Can I see what's in there? Nope, I skip it. Because that one, that person's not vulnerable. I'm looking for the quick and easy connection. And that one is too much work, because it's a private account. So I go to the next one. I look at the pictures. Public account. I look at the pictures. A picture of about a 40-year-old man. I look at the next picture. That same 40-year-old man with three kids. I look at the third picture, that 40-year-old man with a dog. Is that Ian Repking? that I described? No. So I go to the third entry, public account. I look at it. There's a picture of a teenage boy with a girl at a high school dance. Is that Ian? Maybe. Maybe. But I'm going to keep them going. Like, remember, there's probably 500 pictures up there. I'm going to look at the next picture, a picture of that teenage boy with his dog. I'm going to go to the third picture, that picture of a teenage boy with three other guys holding a baton from racing in their hand and every single one of their shirts say Glumbard West High School. Is that Ian Repking? It is. So now I send a request and I DM them. You guys know what DMing is? You don't, do you? Oh, you do, direct messaging. You just had that look like. Um, I DM them, I say, hey, saw you yesterday at York and I put a little emoji of fire, meaning he was fast. Is he going to accept that request? You know he is, like that. Because the guy just told him he was fast, and he saw him. So there's like this sense of familiarity with him. Now I'm in. So by keeping their accounts private, by not using their first and their last name, we make them a little bit harder to find online. If Ian's username had been runnerboy15, even if he was a public account, when he searched on Ian Repking, he wouldn't have found him. If Ian's account was private, he would have passed over him because he couldn't verify. Now, I will tell you, one thing to remember is that your profile picture is always, always public information. So if you really want to close up your kid's um, account and make, you know, just try and reduce that vulnerability as much as possible, tell them not to make their profile picture a picture of them. Make it their dog, make it a sunset, make it a butterfly, I don't care. But um, that we got to remember that those profile pictures are always public and they always appear on searches. Okay, so those are a couple things you can do. I think you can go to the next slide. We're going to talk a little bit about social media. You can go to the next slide. These are the three concepts that you guys want to talk about this. You remember this all so well? <laughs> They're going to kill you for bringing them to this. I know. Um, these are the three things. So, so we can talk about predators. Um, I talked to the kids about bullying. And if you look at, at the percentages of how many kids that truly affects, it's, it's more than we'd like, but it's not huge numbers, right? The number of kids that interact with a predator, um, I don't know the exact number, but say it's like 25%, or the number of kids that are bullied online, say it's 25%. 
It's not the majority. But when you talk about social media and the challenges that, that all of us as a society face on social media, but especially students, that affects the, the mass majority of students. And the struggle is simply overexposure on social media, putting too much of ourselves online for the world to see and not truly understanding how far reaching that information is. So three things that I um, talk to the kids about is number one, what goes up stays up. There's permanency to everything you do online. Um, it, it, it's like you are creating your own story. So if you, I'm sorry, what is your first name? Jamie, do you have a Facebook account? Okay, so Jamie and I have now become fast friends. And um, I send you a friend request, you accept it, you allow me in because your account's private. And um, I go back to my hotel tonight, and I sit down and I look at all the pictures you posted, all the, um, all the comments you've made, and the language that you use. And then I'm going to draw a conclusion about Jamie. I'm going to decide if you're a good mom, a bad mom, a good daughter, a bad daughter, a good friend, a bad friend. I, I see if you work, you don't. All the, I draw these conclusions about you. Do you think that's fair? You do? Fair enough, she said. I mean, I, I ask kids, now you, you're just... Is it fair that you're drawing a conclusion? That I'm judging you. I get kids that look at me and go, that's not right. You're like judging a book by its cover. And, and we teach them over and over in environments like this not to judge people and to get to know people. And, and kids will say, you don't even know her, and you're drawing these conclusions. And I tell them, you, you kind of beat me to the punch, is that it's not really a question of fairness, it's the world we live in. It's out there. But what I, want, what I want people to know is that I'm essentially reading the book of Jamie. Who's the author of the book of Jamie? Jamie. So you're deciding that. Um, I kind of jumped ahead to reputation. I want to go back to what goes up stays up. There's permanency to everything you do. The, do you guys remember the story I told today about that? This one, this one sticks with you, doesn't it? Yeah, the emoji of the gun. So this is a true story. It's about a young man in the suburbs of Chicago. Four years ago, he graduated from high school. Um, really good kid, just kind of an average good kid. Um, he went on to college at um, Michigan State. And in his freshman year, four years ago, he's sitting in his dorm room on a Tuesday afternoon in November. This is his desk at his dorm. He has his laptop here, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, his cell phone right next to him. He's doing his homework, studying, doing what he should be doing. But he's, like most of us, he has his phone right there. And while he's doing his homework, he's also goofing around with his friends from home who are all at different universities across the country. And I tell the kids, and I think we all know, that that's one of the greatest advantages that social media provides us. It, it truly is such a wonderful opportunity to stay connected with people so easily and so quickly. When I went to college, like 100 years ago, um, when I said goodbye to my friends in August, I didn't really hear from them until we came home at Thanksgiving. My kids keep in touch like daily with almost all their buddies from high school because they Snapchat and they Instagram and they direct message. So that's really a great opportunity that the technology provides us. So anyways, this young man is goofing around with um, a guy that's at Boston College, um, another one that's at the University of Michigan, another one that's at Indiana University, and the third one is, or the fourth one is out at Colorado 
in Boulder, and he's at Michigan State. So these five guys are hanging out online, joking around, just as they would have done the year before after school at somebody's house. Very similar to that face-to-face -face interaction. Now they can do it virtually. And this young man takes an emoji of a gun, and he says, he types, tomorrow, 1215. And he hits post, and he puts his phone down, and he goes back to doing his homework. About 10 minutes after he did this, he starts to get what I call that feeling. That feeling like down deep in your gut that something's not right. Not really sure what it is, but something's not right. So he picks up his phone and he deletes the message. He takes it down, it's gone forever. Deletes it. Um, about 15 minutes later, there's a knock on his dorm room door. The police come in, they search his room, they don't find a gun, they don't find a weapon, they don't find any drugs, they don't find any alcohol, they find nothing illegal in that young man's dorm room. They arrest him anywhere, anyways, and he spends the night in the East Lansing jail. East Lansing is the town that Michigan State is in. It is clearly, and without question, the scariest, worst night of this young man's life. He is around people he has never seen in his life. And the next morning, he is standing in front of a judge. His mom and dad have come up from Chicago. He has his mother here and his father here. The judge takes a look at this good-looking, clean-cut young man, college kid, and his both very professional-looking parents. And the judge looks at him and says, you were fooling around, weren't you? And with that, he just starts sobbing. And he says, Your Honor, I don't own a gun. I've never touched a gun. I put that post up for 10 minutes and then I took it down. I was just kidding. I was just joking with my buddies. I didn't mean anything by it. And the judge looked at him and he said, you picked the wrong state to joke. You are charged with threats of terrorism. You have a $10,000 bail. And if you are convicted of this, you'll face a 10-year felony prison sentence. Um, he said, I suggest you go back to Michigan State. You try and take your finals in a couple weeks. And in the beginning of January, you're back here in the courtroom with a really, really big problem. And so his parents take him back to campus. And he puts one foot on campus. And there's two campus officers that are there and tell him, you have 15 minutes to clean out your dorm room. It is a really dramatic story. That's why you guys remember it. Um, and I don't, I don't talk about it to, to talk about um, guns or terrorism or anything like that. What I want the kids to see is that he, in the heat of the moment, he posted something, he put his phone down, and then his brain started working. And he deleted it. And the reality is that there are no do-overs. There's no makeups. There's no going back to the start line. You just, unfortunately, you just don't get a second chance. And I met with them. I had coffee with this young man. And I said, so, I mean, he was, he's such a nice guy. And this one mistake, it changed the entire course of his life. We met about a year ago, and he said, I'd be graduating in a year. Um, and I said, so, I talked to, like, thousands and thousands of kids. What's the message? And he said, Mrs. Repking, the message is to just get people to slow down. These devices make all of us impulsive. They do. They make me impulsive. I get a fun message from one of my kids, or, and I'm like ready to respond back. I can't tell you how many times I've been working, much in the same way as this young man was. I got a text. 
I look at it, I know exactly what I'm going to say, but I want to finish this, and I finish it, and then I pick up my phone, and I go to respond, and I actually say something different. I temper it. I change my language a little bit. Because I had time to sort of process. So I tell the kids to pause before they post. Just slow down a second, two seconds. Have a question in your head. That It's one thing to pause, but what do you do with that pause? Blank space in a 15-year-old's head is can be dangerous. Um, have a question in your head. What would happen if my mom saw this? What would happen if my grandma saw this? Um, do you play a sport? What do you play? Baseball. So are you pretty good? Go ahead. Tell me the truth. You good? Good. I like that. I like someone who says, yeah, I'm good. So what year are you in school? You're a freshman. So if I told you, what's your name? Alex. 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 If I told you that you were good enough to play anywhere you wanted in four years, Baseball's a little different because if you're really that good, you'll get drafted, right? Okay. But let's say you're going to go on to college. Where would you want to play? You can go anywhere on a full scholarship. Vanderbilt. Great school. Hard to get into, too. And they're awesome. They are. Weren't they in the World Series? Last year. Just last year. I think they may have won. And I know my sports pretty well. You, you, we did go a little, I thought, I've been studying up my Alabama football because I thought I'd be able to talk about that, but you're throwing baseball at me and kids today were throwing soccer at me and I just want a football player. But anyways, Alex, let's go back to you. So you're going to go to Vanderbilt. What if I were, did you play on like a travel team in the summer? I did last year. Did you go travel to tournaments all over? You guys play a lot of baseball. Um, so what if I were to tell you that the, the coach of Vanderbilt, the, the varsity coach, I don't know his name, I apologize, um, he's going to start coming to your games. I wish you guys could see Alex. He's, this is, he's like, Whoo. he's going to start watching you. Come a couple games here and there. Maybe go to your summer tournaments and, and watch you. Um, do you pitch or where do you play? I'm a oh, you're a catcher. Yeah. So um, that is, I have great admiration for a catcher. That is hard work. So, you, so he's going to start watching you over the next couple years. He's going to stay in contact with you, send you some emails. How'd you play? What's your average? Um, you make any errors? You're going to say, no, of course I didn't make any errors. All that kind of stuff. And then your junior year, he's going to say, hey, Alex, why don't you come bring your parents to Vanderbilt for the weekend? On my dime, I'm going to pay because he wants you to come and see their beautiful campus and even fall more in love with Vanderbilt because he wants you. It would. It's also exciting. It almost makes you want to go home and start throwing that ball around, maybe take some batting practice, work a little harder at it. So, okay, we're all on the same page. Now I'm going to tell you that that coach, starting today, is going to start following you on Instagram. <laughs> Let me give him the microphone. He said, dang, oh. Which, which I'm not making this up. If you are that kid... If you are, if you are going to be recruited by a Division three school, just a teeny-bitty school that wants you, any coach that is going to recruit you is going to look at your social media because he's going to look at that and decide, are you, like, you are sitting here talking to me and you are yes-mamming me and you are very polite and I'm going to walk away from here thinking, that Alex kid, he is top shelf. 
This is the kid. I already know he's a good baseball player. That I know. But this is the student athlete. Because colleges don't just want athletes anymore. They want student athletes. Because the costs are high. Maybe football is a different animal. Um, but the costs are high when they bring in a kid who's not who they say they are. So I can talk to Alex all day here, and I get yes ma'am, and so polite and lovely, and I actually do actually really believe that you are that nice. But what if it's all a show? You know, what if you party your brains out, smoke a lot of weed, I know, I know, I know. You guys all know I'm just, this is all what if. Um, and I look on social media and I see you posting pictures of you with girls half-dressed and, and solo cups all over in front of you. What am I going to think? I don't want you because as good of a catcher as you are, even if you're the best in the state of Alabama, there's 49 other states that have the best catcher in the state. As good as you are, now I'm going to, I built you up and I'm going to take you down, you're a dime a dozen. So you don't want to do something on social media that caught, brings that into question. So the second thing, this is, your, this is your reputation. This is your online reputation. Reputation is what other, hey Alex, thank you so much. Um, it's what other people think of you, right? And we don't have... I would say in some ways we don't have a lot of control over our reputation. We do have control over our reputation, but it's, it's like the book of Jamie. It's, it's a very limited view, but the reality is that I walk away from today and I think, wow, that, I, I go home and I tell my kids, I talked to this young man named Alex. He was the nicest kid. That's, my, that's the reputation you've earned with me. It's positive. But everything we do online creates another reputation, our online reputation. I think you've probably all heard of that term, your digital footprint. Forget that one. That one's stupid. Call it your digital tattoo. A footprint washes away, right? Um, another thing I tell kids is I, I walk through when I'm in the classroom in a school setting and I'm in a smaller group, um, I'll have them do things with a Sharpie. What's unique about a Sharpie? permanent. So I tell them, everything you put online, it's done with a Sharpie. Your online reputation, just so you know, Alex, it's composed of the pictures you post, the comments you make, and the language that you use. The comments that you make and the language you use, they're two different things. Um, the comments that you make is, I could say to you, Alex, you played a great game Friday. I came and watched, you played a great game. I posted that online. Did I say something nice? Yes, I did. What if I said, you played a blankety-blank good game Friday, and those blankety-blanks were cuss words? Did I say something nice to you? I mean, technically, yes, but cuss <laughs> He's right. He's, this one's smart. Um, a lot of kids will go, no. Wait, yeah. I don't know, which is kind of what you were saying. The comment that I made the meaning I was expressing was positive. You played a great game. You played so good that I decided to emphasize it with cuss words. But the language that I used was offensive. And that tells a story about me. And you'll see this. I see it with middle schoolers. They get somewhere. It's for something, something that happens in a middle schooler's brain that they need to start cussing as a way to make them elevate their feelings. And I want them to understand that that tells a story about you when you start doing that online. And that's part of your online reputation. 
Um, I told you Ian was a runner. And when Ian was in middle school, he was a really good runner, like one of the best in the country. He ran in the um, AAU Junior Olympics as a seventh grader and finished third in the 3,000 in the country. It was pretty fun. And uh, March of his seventh grade year, I, um, he, he got Instagram. So I, will I won't tell you what age to get your kids a phone. I'll tell you what I did. It's, it's called passive-aggressive passive parenting to you. I won't tell you what to do, but I'll tell you how I did it. Um, my kids couldn't get social media until they were 13. I held firm on that. Um, and so on his 13th birthday, he got his Instagram account. And I had been preaching to him before that and after that, be careful what you post online. College coaches are going to be looking, Ian. Yes, I understand. Yep, yep, yep. And I often say it's like Charlie Brown's teacher. Do you remember how Charlie Brown, have you guys, do you guys watch Charlie? Womp, 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 womp. Like, you can't understand, you don't know what she's saying, but what does Charlie Brown always say to her? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And that's what I think happens sometimes with, at least with Ian. He was, yes, ma'am, yep, yep. And, and he thinks he gets it, but he doesn't really get it. And so, um, sophomore year, he came to me, and he thought he was going to sort of trip me up on all, because you know what, it's really, you think it's had, hard to have your mom? You should be my kid, and I do this for a living. We talk about it all the time. Um, and Ian came to me and he goes, Mom, you keep telling me that all these coaches are going to be looking. I get, yeah? How are they going to find me if my username's not my first and my last and my account's private? He was sort of throwing it all back at me. And I looked at him and I said, you'll find out. And that was all I said. And junior year, January 3rd of his junior year, he came to me with his phone in his hand. He was so excited. He said, Mom, the coach from Notre Dame just emailed me. I'm like, are you kidding me? What did he say? And he read it to me. And it, and it was really pretty standard recruiting stuff. It was like, dear Ian, I hope you had a great Christmas break. I saw you ran in the Nike Nationals. You did great. Congratulations. Can't wait to see you out on the track this spring. Send me your, mile in, or send me your time in the mile when you get it. All basic stuff. And then the very last line of that email it said, and could you please send me your username to Instagram? And I looked at him, and I said, that's how he's going to find you. He's going to simply ask you. And what we went on to learn as he went through the recruiting process at different places is that step one of a recruiting process is to fill out an online questionnaire. And you give them, you give them like for baseball, you give them all your, you know, your name, your address, and all that. It's going to ask you for lots of information about your baseball stats. It's going to ask you about your grades, what activities you're in. And they're going to put it all in the database. And on every single one of those questionnaires he had to fill out as step one, the last couple questions were, what are your Twitter, what's your Twitter handle? What's your Instagram username? What's your Facebook username? Because why would they not go look at that? It's out there. So this is going to affect your future. I've talked a lot about Alex and his baseball career, but um, you guys going to go to college? Yes, the answer is yes. You're going to go to Auburn? Wow, you're, you're gutsy wearing that sweatshirt around here. Um, so I'm going to tell you that there's a good chance that, so you fill out all this paperwork, you write essays, you take the ACT or the SAT, you work hard at your grades, which you're already doing. Maybe you're involved in some activities, that sort of stuff. And then you apply, and you have to write essays in your app. It's a very, it's a very long process. 
and 40% of colleges, probably Auburn, the person who's reading that is going to jump online and see if they can look at your social media, if they can see what you've done online, as another way of evaluating all that work you've just laid out for them. On the flip side of that, to, to all of you, whatever other kids, these are the kids in my line of sight, I will also tell you that you can use social media as a way to put yourself out there in a positive way. Because remember, coaches are going to look at it, admissions officers are going to look at it, employers are going to look at it. They're going to look at it and say, what kind of kid is this? Well, now I'm going to see baseball clips of you. That's great. And I'm going to see that you spend some time working in a homeless shelter or a soup kitchen, or you went away for a week and you helped build houses in Nicaragua. Whatever that is, that tells me that you actually are that kid that I want in my program. You actually are that kid that I want at Auburn. So it's not all, don't do this, don't do that. It's, it's that balance. Um, Ian replied back to the coach at Notre Dame and gave him his username. Two hours later, that day, he had a, a follower request from the coach of Notre Dame. Um, when I tell this to kids, they're just like, oh, he should have sent him a second account. Or he should have told him he doesn't have an account. And, and we walk through all of that, and then at the end they look at me and they go, what did he do? And I said, he sent him his account. But here's the deal. His account was appropriate. That's the word I pick. It was appropriate. It was not all pictures of Ian in church praying. It was Ian being a 15, 16, 17-year-old boy, but there was nothing offensive. There were no bad pictures. He was... He paused before, he actually did listen to me all those years, and he, and he made sure that what he put up there was you want an accurate representation of who you are because you're writing a story. You, you don't want to write a false story. You want to write a, a true story, but you want it to put forth the image that you're looking to put forth, which is probably positive. Um, I, can I tell you guys one more story? It's a football story. Um, and I think it's, it's, really, it's really interesting. And two years ago, and, and kids just love this story. It, it, it elicits so much conversation. Two years ago in the NFL draft, do you all follow the NFL a little bit? Yes. Do you, Alex? No, you're baseball. You love the Cubs, don't you? Cubs are the best team. <laughs> um, anyways, the catcher. Who's the catcher of the Cubs? No, um, Willie, um, can't, uh, blah, 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 blah. I don't even gotta be able to, Contreras, yep, Willie Contreras. Um, anyways, four, two years ago in the NFL draft, the NFL draft is in April, the last weekend of April. And when the NFL, I hate to bring it up, I'm sorry, when the BCS Bowl, I know it's a sore topic this year, when the BCS Bowl finishes, ESPN needs something to pontificate on 24 hours a day. So we move into who's going to be the number one draft in the NFL. And think about it. The, the, the number one draft is a big deal, right? I mean, it's, it's worth, I don't know, I'm just going to guess, $40 million. And it's a big deal to that team that's going to pay it. It's a big deal to that player that's going to get it. It is, for some young man, the the height of their career. It is the greatest accomplishment they will have received at that point. So four, two years ago, there were four quarterbacks that they were all talking about as being the number one draft. 
Who had the number one draft? Anyone remember? Same team every year. Cleveland Browns. They stink year, year after year. Um, can you think of any of those four quarterbacks? Baker Mayfield was one. Who else? Everyone gets Baker Mayfield. Um, I'll tell you, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen. What? Nope, that was the year before. Um, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and Josh Rosens. I don't think there was any Alabama guys in that. Um, but those four, I mean, we, the ESPN talked about it for months. They talked about how, what their arm strength was, what they did at the combine, how they worked out for the pro scouts, what kind of guys they were. I mean, if you're going to pay $40 million for something, are you going to do a little research to make sure you're getting a good product? Um, so after months and months of analysis, who were the Browns going to take? Nope. They were going to take Josh Allen out of Wyoming. So after all this analysis, and now we're on like Tuesday, Wednesday of the week of the draft, Josh Allen was going to be the number one pick. Like greatest honor ever. That Wednesday morning, I'm on a treadmill running in a hotel in New York, and I have ESPN on the little TV, and I read that Josh Allen, you know where the story's, I don't make this up, um, Josh Allen sent four tweets when he was a sophomore in high school. And they had homophobic language, racial slurs, and high sexual content. So Josh Allen then spent all of Wednesday, the draft was Thursday, all of Wednesday and most of Thursday answering questions on places like ESPN. And the questions were things like, are you racist? Are you homophobic? Why did you post that? And he was up and down saying, no, I'm not racist. I'm not homophobic. I'm a good guy. Go ask everyone I played for at University of Wyoming. Go ask my high school coach. Go ask my little league coach. I'm a great guy. Go ask every player I played with who is African American, who is white, who is heterosexual, who is, I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm good, a good guy. Why did you post that? And his answer on national TV was, because I was young and dumb. So, now the mic goes to the Cleveland Browns. Are you still going to take Josh Allen? Do you believe him? Was he young and dumb? Do you think he's a racist? Do you think he's homophobic? And after all this analysis, um, well, I, I was in a classroom of seventh graders, and what a great conversation starter. And the kids talked about it, and one young man raised his hand, and he clearly knew something about football, and he said, here's the deal. The Cleveland Browns stink. They need a quarterback. They have no quarterback. They need a quarterback, and Josh Allen is the best quarterback in the draft. They should take him. This is about football ability, and it's not about what he sent out in a tweet six years ago. I looked at this young man, and, and I'll tell you right now, the way to, talk, to deal with the seventh grader is not to argue against them. It's to lead them to the water. And I said, okay, I'm with you. They need a quarterback. Josh Allen is the best quarterback. I'm the coach of the Browns. I'm going to pay $40 million for this guy. And I'm hoping that my ticket sales go up, my TV revenue goes up, my merchandise goes up, because at the end of the day, it all comes down to money. And so 
Um, I believe him. I've met with him. I've interviewed him. I've had psychologists talk to him over the last several months, and I believe that he is a good guy. He is a leader. He's the guy I want leading this team. So I should draft him, right? Well, what if my wide receiver, who might be African-American, says, I don't care if he was young and dumb. That, that tweet six years ago was offensive to me. What if I have a homosexual lineman who says, I don't want to be in a locker room with that guy? I don't believe him. So as the owner of the Cleveland Browns, the question is, do I want to take the chance at $40 million? Because I got Baker Mayfield, who doesn't have any of these black marks against them. So the kids come in Friday morning to class. And this girl, this girl with Coke bottle glasses like that thick, comes up to me, she goes, Josh Allen went seventh in the draft to the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> I just looked at her and I go, really? Yeah. I go, did you watch the draft? I did. She's never watched a play of football in her life. And I said, you watched the draft? And she said, yeah. I go, who'd you watch with? My dad. Did he ask why you were watching the draft? He did. What'd you tell him? I told him all about Josh Allen's tweets. But that was a good conversation. But, but I found, I've, I felt like it was such a great representation of a couple things. One is, what goes up stays up. He sent these tweets six years earlier. And I can guarantee you, the minute he looked like a, a pro prospect, he had agents that were scrubbing his social media. I mean, if you're going to get the payout to be the agent of the $40 million man, you're going to do everything you can to make sure nothing happens. So it wasn't just like someone went to his Twitter feed and said, oh, look at that. I mean, someone unearthed this after it had long been de deleted from the, the account. Um, the other thing is that it never, that, well, that was it, the, the length of it, the permanency of it, and the lack of privacy. So OK, let's go to the next slide. I'm going to try and wrap this up in the next 10 minutes. Um, just a couple pieces of information for you guys about social media. Every single social media platform has an age requirement. Most of them are 13. Um, TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram. The platform says you must be 13 or, or older to use this. I get a lot of questions from parents, um, even after the slide, that say, um, okay, let's talk about TikTok. My, my daughter's 10, and she really likes TikTok. Is there any setting I can... I can change on there so that she can't see, you know, racy pornographic videos. And I look at her, I say, no, because the platform says you can't be on this if you're under the age of 13. They are saying we don't have the built-in safeguards to make this safe for younger users. We're, we're telling you right now it's not safe for 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds. Um, the other piece of this is that there is a, a law called COPPA, Child Online Privacy and Protection Act. Um, and it was created in the early 2000s, and it has a lot of components to, to keep kids safe online. One of the main components of that says, you cannot collect data on someone who's under the age of 13 unless you have written consent from their parents. So think about that in, in um, real terms. You decide tonight that you need a new pair of shoes. So you go online. Have you ever heard of Zappos? Buy shoes there? OK, so you go to Zappos, you buy a nice cute pair of shoes for, for summer. Then since you're on the computer, you just flip over to your Facebook to see if I am accepted your friend request, right? 
And what's the first or second thing you see in your feed there? A Zappos ad. Not only a Zappos ad, but an ad for the exact shoes you just bought. So I want you to realize that there is an instantaneous feed, instantaneous from what you're doing online and how to market at you. And this law says you can't do that to someone who's under the age of 13. I mean, think about what happens if they misclick on something. Then they're, they're getting pounded by inappropriate feeds on that side of it. So um, we've talked about privacy settings. We've talked about usernames. Analytics, I think it's a, I could talk to you for two hours about analytics. It's all those numbers associated with social media. Likes, followers, streaks. Do you guys know what streaks are? Do you know what, do you want to explain a streak to them? You want me to? Yeah, I know. That's what? So, so I'll tell you, so it's, it's like, like, okay, so that's a great point. So a streak is the number of consecutive days that me and my friend Jamie, because now we're moving over to Snapchat, that we have snapped each other in a 24-hour period. So we snap each other today, on Sunday we snap tomorrow, on Monday we snap on Tuesday, meaning I snap her, she snaps me back in 24 hours. Doesn't matter who snaps who first, it just matters that it happens. Um, at the time we get to three days, on, on my Snapchat list of followers, it says Jamie, and now I have a little three that appears next to Jamie's name to let me know that we have um, a legitimate snaps, Snapchat streak going. We are legit. And every day that we do that, it increases, four, five, six. And there are, there are kids, right, that have 20 streaks going at triple digits. Um, and you, what did you say a few minutes ago, a minute ago? It's, it becomes life or death. Lost her phone. Yeah. Oh, oh, I, I, oh, she's not lying. 400 days. So, so these analytics, the likes, the followers, the streaks, all these, these measurable numbers that the site produces, the site produces them as a way to increase their revenue. The site makes money in one of two ways. They get more users using it, or they get users to stay on it longer. Okay, that, that's how they, they increase their revenue. And, and as much as I like Snapchat, Instagram, they, are not, they were not created in the greater good of me. They were created to, to make money at the end of the day. The problem is that, that our kids are looking at all those analytics in much more self-evaluation -evalu terms. How important am I? What's my social standing? How many likes did I get? Meaning, am I accepted? I, I referred to it when we first started as their social currency. But it's measuring their, their relationships, their self-worth, their self-esteem. I put up the picture and no one liked it. I must not be important. I must not have a lot of friends. Um, so I think it's very, very concerning that they're driving the analytics and driving our kids to those analytics to make money, and our kids are using them to evaluate their value. The streaks are being evaluated as how many meaningful relationships they have. Well, we must be great friends because I have a streak that's 275 days. It also is pushing them to make bad decisions in regards to their passwords. The friend that got grounded 
What a lot of those kids will do is say, hey, I got grounded from my phone and I got five streaks at 400 days. If I give you my password, could you keep my streaks going? And now I'm sharing my passwords, which is really, really risky territory because especially the problem with all humans, but especially with teenage humans, is that friendships change and they change quickly. And now someone has a way to very, very deeply hurt someone else in a permanent way, because we just got done talking about the permanency of it. Um, I'll give you one more illustration of streaks. When I travel a lot, Maeve hasn't done it in a while, but a, a year ago she'd say, Mom, let's do a streak. You know, you're going to be gone a lot. It's a way that I stay connected with her on something that she enjoys, one of the beautiful things of the platform. So we would every, you know, I'd be in a hotel and take a picture. You know, every day I try and do it a different way. My kids make fun of me. They're like, you have one selfie pose, Mom. Um, but I'd send the streak. We'd get the streak going. If the day, so, so a lot of the kids, they have a, a whole routine to their morning. I wake up, I brush my teeth, I go eat breakfast, I come back and I do take care of my streaks. It's like, you know, make my bed, do my streaks, brush my teeth. So Maeve would send me a, a, a snap in the morning for the streak, and I'd look at it, I'd be off somewhere, and I wouldn't do it. It'd get to be 9 o'clock at night. I still hadn't even thought about the streak, because I don't care that much. And I'd get a text from Maeve that said, Mom, streak. Because what happens is when you get close to 24 hours, you get a little hourglass next to the name to tell me that the streak is going to expire soon, to try and prompt me into action. So sure enough, I'd pick up that phone, and I'd take that picture, and I'd send it to her. Phew, I saved the streak. Here's what's happened, though. I am a very infrequent user of Snapchat. I have it. I have five people on my Snapchat account, Cam, Ian, Maeve, Ron, and and Jamie now. Um, I don't use it. I use it like we have a family Snapchat, and we sometimes use that, and it's fun. But I don't use it much. But when I'm streaking with Maeve, I become an active daily user. I become that person that is engaging in Snapchat 20 days in a row because I'm losing my streak. I don't want to lose my streak. If you go and Google how many users does Snapchat have, one of the, the answers you'll get is Snapchat has, I don't know what the number is, 5 million active daily users. So that translates to the advertising side of it as come advertise with Snapchat because we have 5 million people that engage in this platform every single day. And I become one of those people. So when I talk to high schoolers, I talk a lot about mindfulness. And I explain to them how the platforms, I'm not telling them don't use Snapchat. I said in my explanation, it's fun. I stay connected with May. We have a family group. That's, it can be fun. But we also need to understand how are we being used to monetize that platform. And just make mindful decisions of what you enjoy. Same thing I said to Maeve. What you enjoy and what you don't enjoy. Um, Instagram, did you, are you guys familiar with this, that they are going to pull off the likes? Um, they've already started doing it in other countries. So research has shown that that like number, you post a picture and someone gets 237 likes for that picture, that that number, that analytic, is research is showing it's causing stress and anxiety in our teens. So Instagram, and, and so many of the platforms are getting pushed to make better 
um, decisions on mental health for all of us. But in some countries, they've already started pulling off that number from the, the feed. So I would, if, if Alex and I are friends and you, you put up a picture and I liked it, you are going to be able to see that Liz liked your picture. But what I'm not going to be able to see when I look at your picture anymore is how many people liked it. No, it's going to take all of that off. So right now it'll say Liz Repking and others, and it'll put a number by it. But that whole piece of it's going to go away, and it's just going to say, Alex is going to be able to look at it and say, okay, Liz liked it, Jamie liked it, Jonathan liked it, but they're going to get rid of that counter that says three people liked it. There's no worse feeling than when you... I posted a picture last night on the plane. I took a picture of the book I was reading in a pack of M&Ms. And my post was something like, um, my travel companions on a Saturday night. I went back to Instagram like five times last night to see who liked it. You know, I got like two likes in the first 20 minutes, and a part of me was like, oh, that was stupid. It does happen to us. So I could talk forever about the analytics and the, the, um, the psychology around social media, but I'm not going to keep you. Can you go to the next slide? Um, you know, let's, I, I'm going to, do you guys want to know? There's not a lot, I mean, Snap, or TikTok is another social media platform. I talked to you about the, the popularity of it right now. A couple things that kids should know. This was a slide I threw into a student presentation last week, and I've just kept it in, is that your account, the accounts need to be set to private. But, but realize as parents, even if your kid's account is set to private, they still can view public TikToks. And that's one of the two big dangers with any social media platform, but especially with TikTok, is predators reaching out to the kids and them viewing inappropriate content. So um, they should not DM with anyone who is not their friend in real life. I talk to kids a lot about who they're friends with, that they need to know them in real life. And then have you guys heard of the Skull Breaker Challenge? She's, your mom's up on it. Have you heard of the Skull Breaker Challenge? Do you, do you, are you, on tic, you, you said you're on TikTok, but you're not posting TikToks, you're just watching. So the Skull Breaker Challenge, it's, you know, every, every couple months, some new trendy thing comes out. A couple, maybe a year ago, it was the Tide Pod Challenge. Um, it was, a good thing that came out was the ALS, um, the Water Bucket Challenge. So they, they pick up steam, they get trendy, this one, it's really quite sad. It is um, three of us get together, and yep, and I'm the one in the middle, and I don't know about it. And we say, let's make a TikTok. You're gonna, Jamie's gonna film it. The three, you two are in cahoots with Jamie. I'm the sucker. And you say, okay, the three of us are gonna line up, and then when the music starts, we're gonna jump to start the video. And as soon as we go like that, I jump. You two don't jump. You knock me out at my knees, and I go back, and I smack my head. And there are kids that are being prosecuted by the law for assault on this. There, have been kid, there has been a child that's died from a traumatic brain injury. It's bad. I mean, I, I'm not going to show you the video, but they just, boom, they, they fall on their skulls. So can you click twice? Because the, the next one is that video. We're going to see It's way that. here. You saw it. Um, gaming, do I have gaming parents? Okay, so go to the next one, online gaming. Just wanted to make you aware of the concerns around gaming. This was, I'm telling you, I had the best discussion with these sixth graders about all of these things. And the, the conversation started 
The sixth grader approached me after my presentation. He said, how do you feel about first shooter games? The violence. And I said, they, the graphics have gotten so good on video games that kids who are playing a lot of first shooter games are starting to lose the ability to, to kind of feel like I'm just playing a game. They feel like they're in real life shooting. Um, there's in-app purchases, so which allows, you know what? They come at you at your most vulnerable time. So you're about to lose, and all of a sudden something pops up that says, for 10 bucks, you can buy two more lives. And, and if the kid's device is set up so that the Apple ID and password are loaded, boom, they just hit it. They're playing on that impulsivity that we have and that, that desire to, to keep playing. So you want to make sure that in-app purchases are off. Predators, I've talked about this, they go where the kids go. Um, the kids today, as I, as I talk through this, they, just, they fully agreed with me and said, yep, that happened to me. Yep, I see that. Um, this one guy paired up with me, and we played in a tournament, and we won, and I wanted to keep playing with him. That was a predator. So um, it's very addicting. There's chat features. Understand what they're doing online, and if there are chat features built into it. I consulted on a news story about a year and a half ago on Roblox. You have a lot of first, second, third graders playing Roblox, um, and this, this girl, eight years old, was playing Roblox on her dad's phone. Every time they go out to dinner, Dad, can I use your phone to play Roblox? Sure, honey. She was chatting with the predator in the chat feature. He had, it was his phone, it was his kid, and he had no idea that there was even a chat feature in the game. Um, and then bullying, as my sixth graders today attested, it is appalling. The language and the content of what they're saying and how they talk to each other. And I asked those boys, they were just, they were really lovely. They were, they were transparent and they were honest, and I said, um, they asked me a very good question. They said, I can't remember the words they used, but they essentially were saying it's part of the culture. What, what's the difference? Is it bad to smack talk? To smack talk is that bullying. And I said, here's, here's the litmus test for you. If you take off that headset and your mom was sitting in the room, how would that go over? And they just all kind of went, um, yeah, no. Um, or the other litmus test is, is that something that you would be comfortable saying to someone on the playground, face to face? And they were like, not really. And I said, so you need to think about that. But we also d talked about how, what a struggle that is for boys, especially in that middle school year, middle school years, because sadly, it is part of that online gaming culture. And that's, that's how they talk, that's how they treat each other. They rip each other to threads, to shreds online. Um, I'm not justifying it, I'm just saying it's, it's something that needs a lot of conversation um, about where they stand in kindness, um, their, their moral feelings about talking to people that way. But you have to help them see, before they can start making those decisions, you have to find ways to help them see that it's not kind but it's because they've always done it and it's acceptable that they don't recognize that as unkind or inappropriate Christian behavior.